0: To a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can visit us online at covenantchurch.us. In our world today, we need a better understanding of God's view of His world and how to live in the present culture without it slowly wearing away at our morals. This message is from part two of our series, The Departed, the first installment of our book study on Romans, where we are focusing on a people that have willingly departed from God's original plan for them. And now, here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16, says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I want to start off this morning just by asking a very, very simple question. Are we ready to have church today? Are we ready to worship God through His word? Yeah? All right. So, so what I'm gonna do, what I'm gonna do then, hold on, hold on. What I'm gonna do then is I'm gonna read this verse and we're gonna react like a living body who's excited and expectant to see Jesus move in our midst and the power of the gospel. Are you ready? Because this is how it should be read and should be responded to. It should say like this: for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Couple follow-up questions couple follow-up questions. Do we believe that we serve a God who is all-powerful? Do we believe that we serve a God whose very words speak light into existence? When he opens his mouth, galaxies spring forth, universes spring forth. Come on, I didn't say stuff. Is that the God that we serve? Is that the God that we came to worship today? Yeah, yeah. There's gonna be a whole lot of that today. Whole lot of that today. I hope that you showed up with some expectancy today because God is always showing up for his people. Always. You recognize that? It's not ever that God doesn't show up. It's just sometimes that we don't show up. How about we, how about we become a church where we show up and meet God? How about that? How about, how about not just that? How about we become a church that take God with us wherever we go? I'm getting ahead of myself. You're not even sitting down yet. Verse 17 goes on to say, "For it is, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed." And I gotta love this phrase, "From faith for faith, from faith for faith." As it is written, "The righteous shall live by faith." Today we've entitled this sermon "Sola Fide," which means faith alone. How many of us know that's how we come to Christ through grace by faith alone? only faith alone. It's not your works that save you. It's not your mama that saves you. It's not the kind of money that you have that saves you. It's the faith that by grace Jesus gives you that saves you. Faith alone. Justification by faith alone. I hope you're ready. I'm ready. Are you ready? All right. Why don't you turn? Touch three people this morning while you find your seats and say, it's time to get to work. time to get to work. Come on. Uh, While we're still getting settled in our seats, just a quick uh, announcement for you. I want to put out a challenge for us today. Um, Three things I want you to show up to every uh, covenant worship experience with. Three things. Say three. Three. All right, so it's locked in now. Three. Here's the three things. Number one, I want you to show up every single time with some, uh, some type of scripture. Now, I don't mean like a page of the Bible. I mean like bring the Bible. So maybe a literal book. Uh, It could be an an iPad with the Bible on it, maybe your phone, whatever it is. Number one, show up with your scripture. Number two, I want you to show up with a pad, okay, and a pen, some type of notebook, um, some type of pen. Can I take notes on my phone? Yeah, that's cool. I just might call you out because I don't know if you're texting your girl or not, okay? That's just what I'm saying, all right? So that's the second thing. And here's the third thing. We've been hitting around with this for a little while, but number three is this. I want you to show up with a heightened sense of expectancy, okay? I want you to show up in, into, and listen, this isn't just like a church thing. Like, any you show up to a church, you should be expecting to see God move in incredible, tangible ways. And so we just want to jump into that and say, could we please show up to this house like we're expecting God to do something? I think sometimes we just show up because that's what we do, expecting God to kind of lick his finger and give us a gold star. I'd just rather us show up ready to worship instead of spending half the sermon getting you there. Can we say that's all right? Is that all right? Okay. Some of you are like, what is going on? All right, well, we'll get there. Uh, All right, let's start. The greatest enemy, in my opinion, the greatest enemies of truth are not those who oppose it, but those who keep it to themselves. Let me say that again. The greatest enemies of truth are not those who oppose it, but those who keep it to themselves. Would you agree with that? The reason that I say that this morning Uh, is because while there are many things in life that can be changed, truth is not one of them. Truth cannot be changed. Would you agree with that? Yes? Truth cannot be changed. If you could change truth, it's not a truth. It's an opinion, right? Like, well, I changed that truth. Well, then that means it was just an opinion because truth cannot be changed. The very nature of something being a truth is that it is a fact. In fact... Look up the word truth in the dictionary, and uh, you'll find this definition. Quote, the quality or state of being true. Truth is so truthy, truth is in its own definition. In other words, the truth is a truth, is a truth, is a truth. Truth cannot be changed, no matter how much you dislike it. Truth cannot be changed, no matter how much you oppose it. And no matter how much you want to change it, truth just cannot be changed. And so, that's why, that's why I start off this morning by saying... That I believe the greatest enemies of truth are not those who oppose it, but rather those who keep it to themselves. This doesn't really seem to be hitting home. Maybe I could say it a little bit different. Maybe I could better say it like this. The truth can't be changed. It can only be contained. So you can't change truth, but, but you can contain it. Um, I was trying to think of a, of a fact that's just a universal truth. And uh, I kind of settled on this one. Lions eat people. Would you agree with that? Is that something that we can universally agree on? Lions eat people. Well, I don't, know about, I don't know about that. Okay, well, go to Africa, walk out into the plains, and stand in front of a pride of lions, and I'm betting that you will be eaten. Lions eat people. Here's the problem with the fact that lions like to eat people. I mean, there's a couple problems, but one of the main problems is that we like lions. We, we like to look at lions, don't we? Uh, we took our kids to the zoo a little while back, and, and uh, you know, we saw the elephants and the, the monkeys and the, the, the really strange floating blobs of fat, the manatees, you know what I'm talking about? The weirdest exhibit ever, and uh, anyway, that's besides the point, point. And, um, and then we walked past the lions, and, and my daughter, Stella, um, she goes, oh, Daddy, they're so cute. They're like big kitties. And I was like, yeah, I, I literally think that is what they are. I think they're large cats, you know, and, and uh, she, my, my sense of humor is lost on her sometimes. And, um, and apparently you as well. And, uh, and she said, do you think that we could go down there and pet them? And I looked at her and I said, no, that will never happen ever, right? And she's like, why? And I said, because they will bite your arm off. That's literally what I told her. It's a truth. It's not debatable, but the problem is we like to look at lions. So what do we do? Because we can't change the truth of a lion, the fact that it will eat you given the opportunity, what do we do? We contain it. We put it behind a cage. We put it behind thick glass. We, we dig large moats and big, uh, build big walls, and we contain the truth of a lion. But, but don't get it twisted, man. Don't get it twisted. Just because a lion is contained doesn't change the truth about a lion. If you ever see a cage down in the lion section at a zoo, you better run. Because I'll tell you what, I will be running. And you're like, well, I can, be, I can run faster than you. Yeah, I can push you over. So I don't have to be faster. I just got to be faster than you. You know what I'm talking about? Right. And, and, and so, like, if a lion gets loose, the truth of the matter is it's, it's going to eat you. Because a lion was designed to hunt. A lion was designed to, to kill. A lion was designed to, to stalk it's pray a lion is a lion is a lion you can't change that you can only seek to contain it i wonder today if we have a ch- as as a church if we as a church have caged some lions do you agree with that say so i think i agree but i don't know what you're talking about well let me explain um paul says in romans chapter one that the gospel is the power of God. Can we throw that scripture up on the screen real quick? I want you to see this. I think there's power in looking at the words. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the, say this word with me, power. Come on, if we're going to use the word power, we got to do a little, bit, a little bit better. If Kanye can can sing it pretty hard, I think we can do a little bit better, because we actually know what that power means, okay? So let's try it again. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. That's not good. Come, come on, come on now, y'all. Come on. For it is the Power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, also to the Gentile. I wonder this morning, could it be that we have caged some lions? Because according to Paul here, it's power. Gospel is power. It's interesting, this word power in the Greek is the word dynamis, and and dynamis is where we get the word dynamite. What Paul is actually saying in the scripture is he's saying that the gospel is explosive in nature. That the gospel, when it is lit and when it goes off, it affects everything around it. It it changes people. It shapes landscapes. You cannot be around the gospel and remain unchanged. It changes everything. I wonder, could it be that we have caged that lion? In other words, have our churches become the places that caged the very thing that was meant to roam free? The gospel. Have our churches become a place where we come just like we... Go and see the lions. Have our churches become a place where we go to to, to examine the gospel from a safe distance, looking at it, talking about it, but then leaving here when we're finished uh, without taking it with us? Have we caged the lion? I'm asking you, brothers and sisters in Christ, church, have we inadvertently become the greatest enemies of the truth? Somebody say, free the lion. lion. Yeah. I think it's time to take down some walls. I think it's time to to break down some cages and you say that sounds a little messy and I say yeah that sounds like the power of the gospel so the gospel is messy we'll get to that more in a moment Paul's description of the gospel is that it's explosive but he also says something very interesting one of my favorite portions of scripture in verse 16 look at verse 16 he says this he starts out the verse by saying that he won't be ashamed of the gospel I mean he just he just straight up Comes out swinging for the fences. Makes no bones about it. For I am not ashamed. doesn't say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to try to not be ashamed. I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to be nice about it and I'm going to try not. No, he just says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Of, 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 for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and then also to the Greek. Is it possible that we have become... Ashamed of the gospel? Church, is that, is that possible? In our day, in our time, in our country, in our culture, in our context, have we become ashamed of the gospel? Have we become ashamed of the very thing that has given us life? Have we become a people who are ashamed of the gospel? Sure, we talk about it here. Sure, we sing about it here. Sure, we sign up and volunteer and we go to our small groups and our sea life groups, but, but, but what, do we, what do we do outside of these walls with the gospel? Do we take the gospel with us or do we put a padlock on the church and say, see you next week? And we say, isn't that cute? Look at the gospel. Look at what's happening inside my church. Look at what's happening inside the row that I sit in. Are we merely containing the gospel? First off, I guess I should back up a little bit. Let me give you a definition. If you're taking notes this morning, which I know that all of you are, and if you aren't today, you will be next week. Um, pull out your pens, pull out your thumbs if you want to. Uh, can you pull out a thumb? Yeah, whatever. And uh, we're going to type these in or write these in. I want to give you the gospel in a nutshell. Just a really quick, brief description of the gospel in a nutshell. Here it is. Are you ready? Yes? Are you ready? Yes. Here it is. The gospel in a nutshell is that you are more sinful than you could ever believe. <laughs> How do you like that? They that great? You got, you're like, I got out my pen for that. Like, my wife could have told you that. I mean, I understand, right? That's not it. That's not it. You are more sinful than you could ever believe, but you are more loved than you could ever imagine. That's the gospel. I mean, that's some good news, isn't it? You know what gospel means? Good news. I think we can stand to have some good news, don't you? We need good news. We need more good news. You know what the good news is, right? You know what the good news of the gospel is? That Jesus Christ loved us so much that he came to us. That he became one of us for the purpose of saving all of us. That's the gospel. And that's good news. You say, why is that so good? Because had it not been for Jesus Christ, there there would not be any hope for salvation. There would be no connecting with God. There would be eternal separation from our creator because of sin. But let me say this about the gospel. It's good news. The problem is, I'm not so sure that we're presenting the gospel. I'm not so sure that we're presenting good news anymore. Uh, Let me say it this way. Um, If your gospel doesn't include loving everyone the way that Jesus Christ loves you, then your gospel isn't good news. It's just news. It's just news. You can clap. I got like three people. Should I clap? Does that mean I'm guilty? I... So we're all guilty of that. It's just news. You ever sit and just watch the news? Have you just sat down and are like, I love the news. Have you ever just sat down and just watched it? After you watch the news for a while, you, you, just, you just have to turn it off and like, like go eat a burrito. I don't, I don't even know. Like I don't know what your thing is. That's obviously mine. I'm just saying, like, you can't sit and just watch the news for hours because, because there's so much bad news if you just sit around and watch the news all day, you will become depressed. Unless it's the good news. Unless it's the good news about Jesus Christ. I think that's part of the problem. Would you agree? We're just sharing news. That's part of the problem. I think that one of the reasons that we, that we keep this truth for ourselves, that we keep the gospel to ourselves. Are you guys still with me today? Are you still with me? Yeah, is this making sense? I think one of the reasons that we keep this to ourselves, um, and if we do share something, we just share news, I think it's born out of, 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 of fear. I think it has its roots in fear. Um, fear of what people will think of us. Fear of what the gospel could, would, should, might do to our relationships. Fear of, of, of how it's even going to you know, concern our well-being. But what you have to understand is this. Don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this now. Don't miss this. Shame is a byproduct of fear. In other words, we have become ashamed of the gospel because we fear what it will do if we release it into the wild. So we're ashamed of it. We're ashamed of it because we fear what it's going to do. So we choose to live in fear rather than walk in faith. Does that sound familiar? Some of you are walking in fear every single day. You're walking in fear. What's God going to do to me now? What's going to happen to me in my job? What's going to happen to me with my wife? What's going to happen with my kids? They're probably going to grow up and be drug addicts. My wife's probably going to leave me. My husband's probably going to, and you just walk in fear. Does that sound like a healthy lifestyle to you? Does that sound like a child of God who's been set free from all restraints and bondage and called to a greater life? Does that sound like something you were called to walk in? Listen to me. You are not called to walk in fear. You are called to walk in in faith, here's the problem, if you are not straight up about the gospel, if you cage the gospel, you will walk in fear and not faith, I'll tell you why, because faith and fear cannot exist in the same place, but they cohabit, they they try to cohabitate the same area, you understand that, they try, they fight for, they jockey for position, and what I'm saying is like, one is going to, one is going to uh, take the place of, of the other, Uh. 2 Timothy says it like this. I think this is interesting. Hopefully you'll find it interesting as well. 2 Timothy says it like this. For God gave us a spirit not of fear. That's good news. I the gospel. <laughs> for God gave us a spirit not of fear, and it gets better, but of power. Wouldn't you know it? The same word that Timothy used for power, dynamis, is the same word that Paul used for power. The same exact word that Paul used in his text when he said that he is not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Is the same word that Timothy uses. I got to ask you. How many of you know that the spirit of the, the the spirit of the living God is living inside of you? How many of you know that? Okay, so we we wouldn't like we wouldn't debate that. For those of us who have called Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, it's not really debatable. We believe that the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence inside of us. But according to Romans chapter 8, something that that you may have heard but you haven't lived out is the power that comes along with having Jesus Christ take up residence, the Holy Spirit take up residence inside of you. Do you know what that means according to 2 Timothy? According to Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17? It means that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave now lives in you. Now we hear that, we sing that, but let me explain to you what that means. That means you have the gospel on the inside, the explosive dynamis of Jesus Christ. The power of God lives inside of you through the Holy Spirit. Now what does that mean? It's the same power that called Jesus back to life. It's the same power where, that Jesus laid his hands on blind people and had them see. It's the same power that called cripples to walk. It's the same power that called dead men to live. That same power lives in you. It lives in you. And yet we walk in fear. You're afraid? You see the problem? And yet, we, we, we walk in fear. The very power that conquered fear lives in us, and yet we walk in fear. i got to ask, if that's the truth, what have you been feeding? What have you been feeding? In other words, maybe you're operating in fear because you've been neglecting to feed your faith. You've been feeding the wrong beast. You feed in fear, you feed in faith. see... Sure, you come to church, you sign up to volunteer, you take notes. Not this week, then next. You take notes. You feel empowered when you're in church, don't you? You feel good. You get that little curl in your lip. You get that little swagger in your step. You know what I'm talking about? Even the old people, you kind of walk with a limp, and it's not because you're crippled. You're literally just walking like an old pimp. You know what I'm talking about? You just walk with a little bit of swagger. You're like, I'm in church. But then we hit the door, and what happens? That swagger's gone. We hit the door and we start feeding our fear. Now what if people actually hear that I was at church? What if people actually actually hear that I'm a Christian? What if, what if somebody actually overhears me talking about Jesus? How is this gonna impact things? How is, this gonna, how is this gonna change things? You're feeding the wrong beast. As I said before, fear occupies the same space as faith, and there is only room for one. So let your faith be bigger than your fears. Let your faith be bigger than your fears. i got to just say it again because you're not getting it. Let your faith be bigger than your fears. And you say, well, Travis, how do I get my faith to be bigger than my fears? you got to start feeding your faith. You start feeding your faith and your fear will starve. It just slides right out. You say, well, how do I feed my faith? Well, let's see. What did Paul do? Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 1. He says, even if you threaten me, I ain't going to stop preaching Jesus. Even if you beat me, I'm not going to stop talking about Jesus. Even if you imprison me, I'm not going to stop talking about Jesus. And if you kill me, I, right? living Christ and to die is gain. You can't touch me. What is he doing here? Well, he's preaching truth. He's talking about the gospel. He's also feeding his faith. I wonder if, uh, <laughs> I wonder if, if Romans 1.16, is John preaching to himself just as much as he's preaching to us? How many of you know some of the best sermons you've ever heard are the sermons you have preached to yourself? And how many of us can testify that some of the worst sermons you ever heard are sermons you preached to yourself? You wake up in the morning, are you starting off feeding your fear? Are you starting off feeding your faith? Come on now. What are you doing? Some of you preaching sermons, the worst sermons at yourself, and you don't even realize. You get up, you look in the mirror, and you're like, look at you. What is wrong? What is wrong with you? Of course, nobody loves you. Look at your hair, look at your body. What's wrong with you? Look at your face. Now we laugh at that, but what are you doing? You're preaching your own sermon. Is, is that how we're supposed to walk, as children of the living God? No, so, so Paul does something else. He starts preaching to himself, which, which in essence, he's, he's, feeding him, he's feeding his own faith. He's feeding it, he's feeding it, he's feeding it. And so he comes out and he says, listen, I am not ashamed of the gospel, and sometimes you just gotta get there. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever just had to just take yourself to a place? You just gotta push through, and you just gotta win yourself over. Have you ever been there before? Will you come out and you just say like, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I know the situations around me, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I know that people want to kill me, but I'm not gonna be ashamed of the gospel. I know that people are threatening me and my family, but listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel." I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Sometimes you just got to wake up and preach your own sermon at yourself. You got to look at the mirror and say, you are a child of the king. You're better than how you're living. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter how people talk bad about you. It doesn't matter what Facebook says. You're a child of the living God. You're accepted. You're loved. You're fully forgiven and restored and redeemed. Sometimes you all just got to preach your own sermons. That's what I'm saying. Next point. Next point. I just want to talk just real quick, briefly, for a moment about this, Um, because I hear people talk all the time, like, I just want to get, I just want to get closer to Jesus, I just want to know Jesus more, that's awesome, I just want to feel, I just want to feel Jesus, you know what I'm talking about, I just want to feel filled with faith, and I get that, I get that, you know. There's something awesome gathering together, lifting up our hands and singing and, and sensing the Holy Spirit moving. The, the Holy Spirit isn't a ghost. He's not some weird entity. He's a person. He's part of the Trinity. He's just as much of a person as Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And so we sense his presence. This is true. But the problem is when we rely on feeling, we're going we're to we're really mess up because faith isn't an emotion. You, you get that. Some of you are just waiting, like, well, I'm gonna go do like stuff for God when I feel, feel it. You can be waiting all day. What do I have to get you hyped up on like sugar? And like mountain, like Mountain Dew and like the craziest sermon ever, and then she's like, go! Like I have like a small like time like limit. No, faith is not an emotion, faith is a mindset. You decide that you're gonna accept this faith that Jesus gives to you. Faith is not. Emotion. You waiting for faith, you're gonna be waiting around a long time, or you could just make up your mind and move in faith, which is what Paul's saying here. So, if faith is a mindset, then this next point makes a whole lot of sense. When I say that your level of faith will always be determined by the level of your obedience. Your level of faith will always be determined by the level of your obedience. The more obedient you are to what Jesus has called you to do, the more faith you will grow. And the more your fears will starve. Let me ask you, you want more faith? I hear people say that all the time. Man, I want more faith. Get more obedient. I want, I want to know Jesus more. Get more obedient. <laughs> I love this one. I, I love this one. People say it a lot. <clears throat> Travis, well, first off, they just call me pastor. You know, you know that's when something's coming. look <laughs> like up to you and you know, they're like, Pastor, can I have a word? Yeah, yeah. What's going on? Pastor, I want to go deeper deep where where are we going you know what I mean I want to go deeper deeper where deeper deeper (laughs) what are you talking we're going to the revelation I don't know is that the bottom of the you know what I'm talking about we want to go deeper in essence we're saying like I want to know Jesus more and that's a good thing but I would say man the deeper you want to know God the more committed your obedience has to be just do what he asks you to do you want to know Jesus more do what he has asked you to do what was that I swear I heard somebody ask me a question. And it sounded like they said, what has Jesus called me to do? I'm glad you asked me. All right, I'll tell you. Okay, that's a great question. That's a great question. Uh, he tells us in Mark chapter 16. He tells us, after Jesus' resurrection, he ascends to heaven, but not before he commissions the disciples. And leaves them with the task of carrying out the gospel. Now, you would think that these are Jesus' last words, so he's going to have like this monster checklist, right? Which, by the way, if you're a disciple and Jesus dies, comes back to life, and then leaves, you'd be like, what? Like, you already died and came back to life, and we're like, oh, good one, Jesus. We really thought that you were going to leave us with this whole thing. And Jesus like, oh, well, I am. See you guys later, right? (sighs) And so you would think Jesus would have this long checklist, like, okay, now, listen, Peter, I know you're a little slow on some things, so I wrote a checklist out, make sure you go start a church, make sure you say this, make sure you don't say this, make sure you wear this, do not wear that. Make sure that you only write these kind of posts on your Facebook, and do, do this kind of, what does Jesus say? Does he say any of that? No. Nah. No. Nah. Listen to what he says, Mark 16, he says this, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's it? There's a little bit more. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. Without exception. Jesus, what do we do? We've walked with you. We've, we've seen you do miracles. What are we going to do now? I'm going to leave you, and now I want you to go and preach the gospel to everybody you come across. What else? Do that. Then what do we just keep doing that? All you have to do is preach the gospel. Church, i got to ask you a question. What are we called to do? what are we called? church, what are we called to do? We're called to preach the gospel. What will feed our faith? The gospel. What will kill your fears? The gospel. What will change your family? The gospel. What will change our city? The gospel. What will change our state? The gospel. What will change our nation? The gospel. What will change our world? The gospel. Come on, I'm just going to keep going until you jump in with me. What's going to change your kids? The gospel. What's going to change your marriage? You see what I'm saying? The only thing that can truly change anything is Jesus working through the gospel. And yet it's the one thing that we hold back for ourselves. We'd rather give money than the gospel. We'd rather send thousands of dollars across the seas than hop on a plane and go over and support a missionary. Why? Because it's easier. And we love money. I mean, I know I do. I don't know if you do. Maybe I'm a sinner. I don't know. I'm just saying. The vast majority of our time in our culture, I'm going to close with this in just a minute. i got to get this off my chest. So you're going to have to bear with me because it's going to get a little bitter before it gets better, okay? The vast majority of the time in our culture, Christians are silent on issues. You ever notice that? Would you agree with that? You're like, do I say yes or do I stay silent? I don't know. Now, the vast majority of the time, Christians are silent because of their fear. We say little and we do even less. We allow the world to create the culture while we stand by and do nothing. Millions of people around the world caught up in in sexual slavery and we do nothing. Nothing. Millions of of our children aborted every year and sold for a profit. And yet we do nothing. Our, Our brothers and sisters in Christ over the seas being slaughtered for the fact that they stand for Jesus. And yet we do nothing. Listen, church, everything you do and everything that you don't do speaks louder to what you believe than any words you could ever use. And your silence is deafening. The silence is deafening. Throughout history, throughout history, there were classically armies that would come and do battle with each other. Obviously, we know these are wars, and it was common practice that each army was led into the battle by a group of young men carrying drums. Is where we get the phrase drummer boy, right? And and these drummer boys would would pound out rhythms and cadences specific to their clan, specific to their troops, specific to the army that they were leading. And when your drummer boy fell silent, you know that you were in trouble. You knew that one of two things were happening. Number one, either your drummer boy was shot, was stabbed, was, was laying dead somewhere, Or you knew that you were losing the battle because we don't drum and retreat. So both of those things are are very bad news. You knew that you were losing. See, the beating of the drums would strike fear into the hearts of your enemies because the beating of the drums meant that you were advancing. You hear what I'm saying? The beating of the drums meant that you were going somewhere. The the beating of the drums meant that you were taking back land. The louder your drums became, the more ground you were taking. The harder your drums were played, the more enemies you were conquering. I wonder, is there anyone in here today ready, strong enough to pick up the drum, to pound on the drum, to say, no longer will we stand idly by No longer will I remain silent. I cannot remain silent. It's time to let the lion loose. It's time to release the gospel in our context. It's time to love better than this world loves. It's time to lead better than this world leads. It's time to love people like Jesus Christ loves them. I may not get them, I may not understand them, I may not have have anything in common with them, but through Jesus Christ and the gospel, man I can love them the way that Jesus Christ loved me. I wonder if there's anyone this morning that would be willing to stand up and pick up the drum and pound that thing and take back land. Is there anyone, anyone? Is there anyone who would say I'm willing to stand? I'm willing to be a force for good in my generation. I'm willing to take a stand. I'm willing to pound the drum. I'm willing to to signal the advancement. I'm willing to move in this generation. I'm willing to pray in a new way. I'm ready to move in a new way. I'm ready to tell my friends about Jesus. I'm ready to live for the gospel. If they threaten me, I'll preach Jesus. If they beat me, I'll preach Jesus. If they jail me, I'll preach Jesus. If they kill me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I wonder, do we have anybody like that in church today? Do we? Come on. This is who we're called to be. We're called to advance the gospel in our generation, in our time. Thank you for listening to this message from our series, The Departed, A Covenant Church. We hope you've been impacted by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us for more information and to listen to more impactful sermon audios just like this.